You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, everybody. Scott, thank you so much for joining in on this episode of Stories of Sell. I have with me Fred Joyle. He's an entrepreneur, a speaker, business advisor, a number one Amazon bestselling author, and he co-founded the most successful dental referral service in the country, 1-800-DENTIST. And Fred, welcome to the show. Really excited to be here, Scott, and, and talk to your audience. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome audience. Mostly entrepreneurs, coaches, business owners, uh, right up my alley. It sounds like they're right up your alley as well. Um, your man, your resume, I didn't, I didn't go into it in full detail. 30 years as a CEO generated over $1 billion in revenue. I can think of, um, I'm holding my hand up with a fist of how many people I know that have done that. So I can't wait to talk about that. Um, just a lot of a, a lot of accolades and you obviously have a lot of experience in business. So can't wait to talk about that. Um, let's jump right in, Fred. I want to hear your story. I want to know how you got your start, where it all started and how it unfolded. So it, the, the, the real turning point in my life, because I didn't know what I wanted to do in my twenties uh, at all. Uh, so I, I was bumming around the U.S. And, and Europe just doing odd jobs and stuff and took eight years to finish college. And then I, I moved to L.A. and I walked into an ad agency. And it was like this moment where you find your tribe. And I, and I said, I could do this. I could do the, I, I wanted to write for a living. But I couldn't figure out. I was like, oh, I'm going to write a screenplay. Yeah, join the club out in L.A., you know. <laughs> um, and and so the but it was one of those beautiful moments where the general manager who knew a friend of mine, which is how I walked into place, I said, I want to I want to work here. And he said, well, I'm not giving you a job because you don't know how to write advertising. But there was a night school that taught by creative directors in L.A on how to write advertising, working creative directors. It existed for a brief window, like three or four years. I went there for six months. He said, go to that and then we'll talk. I go to that for six months. I get the first job I go on an interview for. And that everything changed from that moment. I learned how to write advertising. I learned how to pitch to clients. Uh, I learned how to find clients for them. I learned how to be crazy and creative and energetic and bold. Uh, which I was not, I was, it, it blossomed the boldness that was deep inside me because I was shy and underconfident in my whole life with women, with work, with adventure, all of it until I got into advertising. But I didn't like the career arc of advertising mm. because it swoops up and you make a ton of money. And then at 50, it falls off a cliff. And I was watching these guys who were 50 years old, get laid off 
making three, 400 grand a year. They couldn't get 75 grand at the next job. And I said, I can't let that happen to me. So one of those random things, a friend of mine had the 1-800-DENTIST phone number. And he says, I, I think you could turn this into a business. And so another friend of mine wanted to quit being a stockbroker. And he said, let's try it. And so we raised 30 grand from our family and we beat the streets. We found 20 dentists who would go along with this. I wrote the ads. I bought the radio time. We just started on radio. We set up a little call center. I mean, we had to, knew how to do nothing, right? I knew how to write advertising, but every aspect of running a business and, and we had to invent or learn the hard way. But we got 50 phone calls the first day and we said, holy shit you know what we're telling people might actually be true right. this this could work you know and and just as a sidebar everybody including my boss at the ad agency said that'll never work mm -hmm. so it's either discouragement or motivation depending on how you choose uh because a lot of people think they know uh and and but i just took it as encouragement it's like i'll show you and i'm sure 10 years later, he's watching all of these 800 dentist ads run on every station. And he's thinking, maybe it'll work. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, that's quite the business model, too. I mean, that's pretty genius, quite honestly. Well, and we were we were very early on in advertising for dentists. This is in the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 it was an uphill battle because dentists are not great business people and advertising was new. And uh, and and so we succeeded just by showing up every day and figuring out what to do and adding salespeople and adding cities and finding more customers and getting credit with TV stations and going on TV from radio. And that's, that was when it shifted about two and a half years in when we switched to TV, that was, that was the jet fuel uh, that we just, we made a spot that really worked and we ran the hell out of it for the first year. Uh, and we just, we tripled the size of the business. We went from making, you know, 300 grand in the third year to a million in two years later, uh, personally. Um, I mean, and, and, and then years later, I mean, we, and it, it grew and it leveled off at a certain point, but my business coach, my personal coach said, how much money did you make over the course of running the business? And I had never really done that. And I said, I, so I did it quickly in my head. And I said, it's like a billion one. And he goes, how many people do you think have done that? And I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, because <laughs> uh, you know, we sustain the business model and we created a terrific culture in the business. My last week at the business, because we eventually brought in private equity and we sold the business stuff in decline. It, you know, we had run out the model. Uh, and but my last week in the business, we celebrated three 25 year employees that month. Um, That's it incredible. Was, that was that was one of my proudest yeah. days. It's like yeah. this their entire adult life was working for me and, and making me successful. I mean, my life was about the 250 people that made that business hum uh, and were loyal and dedicated and defended the culture harder than I ever would have because mm -hmm. they wanted to go to work where they loved every day. And that was our motto, Gary and I, when we started the business, we, we, number one rule, this has to be a place where we want to go every day. Yeah.
Yeah, it's got to give you energy. You got to go away yeah. with with fire, you know, fire under your you, feet. You're still. gonna, you know, you're gonna you're gonna hit potholes at a hundred miles an hour. Sometimes, I mean, you, you're gonna. We just made a series of survivable mistakes for thirty years, yeah. um, and 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 that's business. You just you just you're gonna make mistakes. You just if you didn't learn anything from them, now you now you messed up. Yeah rewind a little bit to this, just walking into this, you know, you say an ad, ad agency, basically, right at like 20 years old, you don't know what you want to do, which I think is a beautiful thing to say, because a lot of people, even like my son, who's turning 18, they're like, I don't know what I want to do. You know, it's this, it's this turmoil, inner turmoil that people have, and you found your way. And you, you said something really important. You said you found your tribe. Yeah. So what caused you or what, what motivated you just even step into that place? You know, sometimes you just get lucky. And and I had probably now I was let's let's look at this. I was probably 28 or 29 by the time this happened. So mm -hmm. I had done every job type of job imaginable because I was just doing it for money. I laid carpet. I painted houses. I was a mail carrier. Uh, you know, I sold frozen meat door to door. I, I mean, I did some I sold payroll systems. I did some just really unpleasant, unsatisfying jobs, <laughs> but there was like 30 or 40 of them. Uh, and and along with a whole career in the restaurant business, starting as a dishwasher as a, wow. at 14, you know, waiter, bartender, I paid my way through college tending bar. You, I absorbed how all these businesses ran and, and, and really bad bosses really <laughs> along the way and, and really sucky jobs sometimes. Now, I, I had a painting business that was my own business, and I actually had people working for me. That was my first dabble into entrepreneurship because I had to find the houses to paint, and I had to make enough money so that I could pay the people that, to help me. Uh, it, but I was absorbing all this, not knowing what I wanted to do, because in college, I studied primarily creative writing. But it was a friend of mine who lived in L.A. and I had driven him here across country. I had lived back in Rhode Island at the time. And uh, he was a storyboard artist, uh, which he has done his entire life, as long as I've known him. He's hmm. made a living doing it 40 something years wow. so that he can paint. Right. He's one of those guys that says, I, I just need enough money so I can pursue my art because my art's not making any money. And he just. He, he's never had to do anything else. It's sort of mind blowing. Yeah. And he's never worried about money because he's made enough, right? I've made 10 times more than him and spent 15 times more. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, that it's a, there's a lesson to that. Uh, you know, pursue your pa passion, pursue your dreams, and it, sh it should be enough money. If money is your passion, you got a problem. Um, and, and you're not going to solve it. Uh, by getting more money. I, I wish I just had the money for all the stuff I bought that I never used. Uh, I could probably retire on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, if you're lucky, you get to spend enough money to go, wow, this, this made me about 3% happier. Um, and instead of being there for my friends when they need me or creating a business culture where we had a second generation starting to work there. That, and, and everywhere I went, people respected our business and respected me and the way we ran our business and did business. And, and my employees knew that I had their backs. They, they knew that if a customer 
was mean to them or cursed them out. That guy was off. That guy was off the program. And, and, it was, and he could apologize and apology would be accepted, but he's still not welcome back. And when my, my people knew that the customer wasn't always right and that it, I was taking care of them because they're taking care of me, then the customer has to be the right customer. Well, no, there's no reason to have terrible customers. If you have to have terrible customers to make a profit, you need a different business. I think that that is, uh, there's so many golden nuggets in that last little bit, you know, the customer is not always right. And not every customer is right for you. There's this fear of loss, this fear of it's, it's a lack of abundant mindset. Like if I lose that, I'm losing X amount of dollars per month. And yeah. it's really hard for business owners to, who have had to bootstrap it, had to really work and put their, you know, blood, sweat and tears into something to think that they might lose a customer. But I, what I found is that typically when you lose that customer, energy goes up and production goes up and new customers come in at 2x, 3x what you lost. And yeah, it's almost like you got to you got to clear the passenger seat so somebody yeah. better can be in there. And, and you have to be really careful about if you get a customer that's big enough to wag the dog where where you fear losing him, he owns the business at that point. Yeah. Right. I've, I've had guys come back and squeeze, try to squeeze 100% of the, of the profit out of the deal uh, because they felt like they were big enough. And I would say, you know what? I don't want to do business with you anymore. Right. Well, well, no, well, I'm just trying to get the best deal for me. It's like, yeah, it doesn't sound like win-win anymore. Right. Uh, so it's bye-bye. Yeah. And, and it stung them because it was like they were, they were used to squeezing everybody's balls and winning for them. And, and win-lose was perfect for them. That was, that was the right. balance point in their mind. Just guess what? We don't, we don't dance that way here. Sorry. And, and, uh, and you don't get another swing at it because you already, you showed me your true colors. Hey, before we get started, Imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. Yeah, I, I just think a lot of people would find a lot of freedom if they really identified that and moved past those customers because they really are, they squeeze the lifeblood out of you. When, when you talk about your business, you're really passionate or about 1-800-Dennis, um, you're really passionate about your employees. Was that really the passion? Is that what the passion turned into? Was it serving your clients? What was the real driver for you in that? Other than money, I mean, obviously it was an amazing opportunity. Money will only take you so far. You said it earlier, when you're chasing money, you, it's, it's not the way to go. Yeah, especially if you're sacrificing your integrity or, or your people have to make peanuts in order for you mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. um, my partner and I, we could have made, everybody would tell us, you guys could have made way more money if you didn't offer the benefits you offered. We're like, 
Oh, thanks for telling me. I couldn't have never figured that out. Thank you. Uh, it's like, but I'm sorry, we offered health insurance. I would tell people, look, if you can't offer health care to your employees, you don't have a successful business. You're supposed to take care of those people um, because they're the reason they are manufacturing your business. Mm -hmm. If you have to do everything yourself, you're never going to expand. So find, find two categories of people people who enjoy doing what you want them to do and people who are smarter than you in as many roles as possible, which means just let your ego go. There's guys who are, are, are and I say guys, there are business owners that are, their egos are so big. It's more the guys than the women, by the way, the yes. women suspend a lot of ego and create a, a, a you know, a, a, an employee centric and a customer centric business. But a lot of guys like, no, I have to be the smartest guy in the room. It's like, guess what? The, the, guess who? Guess what? The room's full of dumber people, um, and so you have to you have to second guess, micromanage. You have to do all these things that, that create a terrible culture. I want somebody to just say, no, there's a better way to do that. There's a faster way to do that. Oh, we shouldn't even do that. <laughs> and right. come back to me and, and say, because I'm I'm the visionary. Like, but you got to guys got to execute. So you got to tell me if it's executable. And 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 I think everything can get done in two weeks. They would laugh at, at my timetables. Um, and there we go. And my brother, who was the COO, uh, you know, uh, it would would just go. You know, it's really like two months, <laughs> <laughs> and and we can't even start it for another month because you have so many other things on the slate. And it's like, you know, fine, yeah. you know, right. Yeah, but it's a visionary's job to drive that, and it's an operator's job to to yeah. um, define what's reality and make it happen in the time that we, it works. So that's, yeah, I, that, I know what hill I want to take, but yeah. they got to say, well, we're going to need food and gasoline and everything to take the hill. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the employee smarter people is... I don't know. I, the ego is probably the biggest thing holding most business owners that I know who are kind of stuck in a rut, that seems to be the, the common thread. Yeah. And, and also the, the other thing, there's, there's a lot of school of thought about this, that, that explains this, but they still fall into the trap of finding clones of themselves. Oh yeah. Instead of somebody who's the opposite, who's, you know, if, if you're a, a strong visionary, you need somebody who's, who's who's very practical and detail oriented you need a cfo who's going to look at it and say not this month not that much let i'll figure out how to get the money if it's important but i got to take something off the table we you know and that's what you want is somebody a whole team of people who are so different from you that together it is this amazing organism it would be like you know, you wouldn't want a body with six hearts. You want lungs. You want a stomach. You want a liver. You know, so it's like it, build your company the same way uh, that everybody is great at something you're not. Yeah, and his and his personality wise is different than you are. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that that's uh, you know it's too hard. It, I want people who are like minded. Well, you can have a common goal, but operate in a different manner. And it, it really comes down to your working genius, right? Like you want the, all, first you start with the complete opposite of you. If you're going to go slim, you got to go with someone. My, my business partner and I are 
complete opposites. And we perform absolutely different tasks, and, but it's a beautiful synergy, right? Because things get done and then the vision is, is, is laid out and it, it, it builds beautiful synergy and it's actually the backbone of some great businesses. Um, so you have this 1-800, you finally sell it. How many years did you run it before you sold it? Uh, almost 30. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, were you, were you energized about the business most of that time or all of that time? I really was. There was a, a, a time where my partner and I stepped off and, and let somebody else be CEO. We sort of promoted him from within and, 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 and we gave ourselves a little vacation, right? Mm -hmm. We, we took three or four years of not being day-to-day -day operators and, but then eventually he was not strong enough in that position, which is very common with homegrown CEOs, which is what I am. I mean, I, I had to learn how to be a leader and a CEO very gradually over years with, with tons of blind spots. And, and uh, you know, a lot of things that got me successful were now impairing me from proceeding yeah. to the next level. Um, and so I came back in, uh, my partner stayed passive and, but, but I realized how much I loved leading these people and, and encouraging and them to do their best and, and bringing out the, the greatness in them. And we, we had a great internal policy with people. We, we promoted from within all the time. I mean, we, we had this call center that, you know, we ran a 24 hour live call center on one floor and the floor below it was all the administrative stuff and marketing and sales and stuff. People would have these stickers on their door or their cubicle that said, I started in the call center. Oh, cool. So people knew that there was a pathway upward. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. In the place. And I had at least four VPs that started in the call center. Wow. So that people said, wow, this is uh this is this is a great place to, to be. Uh, and then the other people just they love the call center because they were artists, they were actors, they were musicians. And we helped them eat and made sure they had health care. Uh, so th that that was the kind of place it was. And that was what excited me more than anything. I wasn't in love with dentists or dentistry. I, and believe me, I, I got great friends in the industry. Uh, you know, I love going to dental conventions now and, see, and seeing all of these people because, you know, I wrote a couple of books on dental practice marketing that really propelled our brand uh, and propelled me as a, as a figurehead in the, in the business and a micro celebrity in the industry because I, the books were very readable because I'm, I'm an ad writer, right? I know how to, right. I, yeah. I know how to write a business book that somebody would actually want to read and get something out of. And, uh, and that turned into stage time for me, which built the brand and my personal brand even more. And I, I started to really enjoy that because of the impact it would have on the business and, and just the, the, the growth that I experienced, you know, when you, when you start as a public speaker, you suck. Uh, there's no getting around it, right? right. You, may be, you may feel like you did okay, but three years later, when you're on stage, you go, wow, was I bad? Oh, yeah. And if, if God forbid, you still have a video of it, it's hard to watch. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is a really good practice, though, to look back at yourself. I, I did a I did a presentation uh, over a year about a year ago, and I was looking back. And I'm like, you learn so much about what to do, what to say, what not. To, you know, don't scratch your nose. Like all these things. There's, yeah, there's just a lot of it. reflection makes a big difference. So, you you do this 30 years of one eight hundred dentist, which when I saw that, I was like, well, I you know, as a child of the 80s, I'm like. Yeah, like I know I saw that stuff, which is incredible. It's really cool to kind of look back at the way business was born or what how it was operating. You're talking about phone, you're talking about radio, you're talking about TV, which is everything's changed now, but it's the same principles. It's the same it's the same attitude. It doesn't I don't know that it's really changed, just the platform has changed. Um, yeah, I mean the, the the media has changed, but and the technology uh, obviously we were constantly evolving with technology i mean we didn't have hard drives when we started right uh, so and then we got to the point you know the, our last phone switch was a million dollars wow the next one was free because it was it was all internet based right it was it's like you don't need a phone switch anymore and you don't need servers anymore what we had with a giant service server room with the phone switch and all the servers with refrigerated and everything. Oh and, my God. And it just didn't need any of it. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's the, the, the interesting thing is you, is you, you ride the technology wave. You don't, you don't take the bleeding edge stuff because that you're the one who bleeds. Um, but you, you, you have to keep adapting because that's how people eat your lunch is, is they come in and eventually Google did that. They went, there's a whole other way to make it easier for people to find a dentist and Yelp. We were like Yelp more, more like, because we had a ton of information on the dentists and we could match people to them. Uh, but uh, you know, the, we fought off Google for like eight years. And in the meantime, use them, for lead generation we at, at the end we were paying them half a million dollars a month for for clicks uh, so we we were and they said we love you as a client but eventually we're going to put you out of business yeah <laughs> and i said yeah we know yeah. Uh, yeah. but in the meantime we're gonna make some more money that's right that's right so how did you pivot to writing your first book did you write it while you owned the company or was this a something that came came to you afterwards and then really it, it came out more as a lecture that I did because uh, a, a good friend of mine his sons put together this workshop for young people to teach them life skills that they don't learn in high school how to manage your time your money your relationships how to do goal setting uh, and they brought in their dad's friends as mentors for this these weekend workshops um, it was called young and motivated and it was it was really amazing the, the what they put together uh and it really changed these young people's lives and we would meet them years later and they would talk about you know i never thought i could do anything i work for disney you know uh and and it, so it was that kind of experience that we did for seven or eight years hmm. um but i had put together a presentation on things i had learned in life the hard way uh, that I wish I knew at their age. And one of the big themes was that boldness is a superpower. And I said, look, I, I don't care how shy you think you are. 
I was more shy and underconfident than you. I missed more opportunities, more fun, more relationships than, than you. I guarantee you. And I said, but I figured out a way out of it because it made me frustrated. It made me angry. And I emulated bold people. And I realized you can learn it. And then I, and, and they went, okay, how? <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and so I gradually started figuring out how I did it and said, I can compress this into, in terms of a time frame from decades into months and then make it a, a life skill that you just keep enhancing as time goes on, but you can transform yourself. So that's when I sat down and started really writing the book over a couple of years of really making a lot of notes. And then in COVID, I had way more time and I, and I just went through it and turned it into a book and went to an editor and she just did an incredible job of tightening it up and fixing a bunch of things. And then it came out in October, uh, which is the, the book. If you're watching, you can see it behind me, uh, super bold um, from underconfident to charismatic in 90 days, but it's a systematic way that you can build your boldness muscle, which changes everything in your life. If, if you can take, your confidence to a level where you can act in any situation, even if you feel uncomfortable, you still act and you've still got some skills and you're getting good on your feet. That changes everything. If, if you're in business and, and in life, you need this too. But if you're in business, your ability to meet and connect with people will be the cornerstone of your success your lack of it will be the cornerstone of your failure. Wow. Uh, absolutely. You have me, honestly, you have me very, I, I didn't get a chance to read your book and I, I feel a little silly about it because like, I'm just sitting here going, there's some things I know I could learn that would actually help. And because I do know, you know, having built my current business on connections alone, it's incredibly yeah. powerful. So how, like, this was during COVID that you put this whole book together. You became a, a number one Amazon best-selling author. Um, who would you say is the majority, or do you know who's buying the book? Is it business owners? It is. It is women who uh, who are entrepreneurs, mm. newly divorced. It is young entrepreneurs, college graduates. But it's it spans everything. I, I gave a, a book to a friend of mine whose son had attempted suicide uh, at 16 because a girl broke up with him. And she's and, and he was actually in a facility getting rehabilitated, like helping him through this. And she said, would you send him a book? And I said, of course. And so he gets the book. The next day he writes to her, he says, I'm 60 pages in. I love this thing. And it's like, I just wanted him to see that there's a world of women out there. There's a world of relationship possibility and getting your heart broken is part of the deal. Yeah. And, and you'll survive it. And I want to, I want, you know, eventually I had a chance to talk to him and say, you know how many times I've had my heart broken? I'm sort of losing track, but I think it's eight. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I said, and I've probably broken that many hearts. I mean, the, the, the thing is you grow from it if you choose to and but there's always somebody better yeah the one that the one that broke my heart when i was 20 i thank god 
I'm not with her now. Right. <laughs> and she thinks God, she's not with me. Um, and, and, but that's, this is, a, you know, to help him understand that. Meanwhile, went to my uh, high school graduation, gave it to a few of the, my classmates, including a, a guy who was on the wrestling team with me. And he had been a, a wrestling and football coach for the rest of his life, had a fabulous career, was one of those great revered coaches and he had retired and he read my book and he just wrote back to me immediately. And he said, I love this book. And he says, and I am unretiring. He says, I don't know why the hell I retired. He says, I love, I have an ability to get an athlete into a high performance level. And I'm, why am I not doing that every day? And so somebody even at that level realizes they, they can, you can always step up. And that's what you want to, that's my two word advice to everybody. Step up, don't yeah. step down, don't step back, step up, discover what's possible. When you let the door lock behind you and you say, I'm in, I'm all in, I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. Whatever happens, I'll figure it out. I was in or I was listening to a podcast, oh, golly, it must've been thir three months ago. And it was um, John Maxwell was being interviewed and he told a story about having marbles in a jar and the number of marbles in the jar was the days till he retired. And um, <laughs> I, I don't know if he said this or I made it up in my head, but when all the marbles were gone, it's like I'd lost my marbles. Like literally, what <laughs> now? And he realized that for him, there was no finish line. He was not going for a finish line. Like, don't you feel like entrepreneurs, guys like you um, and, and guys like the story you just told, there really is no finish line. We get a lot of, a lot of joy out of continuing to, to deliver something to people. Yeah, there, there's adjustments to how you approach it over time, but that should be happening in every decade of your life. Yes. But retiring means you hated what you did or you were just doing it to, to provide for your family and that's mm -hmm. it and you need to stop. You know, you, you worked in a machine shop, you worked in, in an auto plant or something like that and you just, uh, okay, I'm done. I've worn my body out, but it doesn't mean you don't, you stop doing everything. Maybe, maybe the next chapter of your life is to be a little league coach or, or, uh, just a great grandparent or, uh, you know, somebody who goes into elder homes and plays guitar for people, whatever the heck it is, you, you can create chapters stopping living a full life, a full engaged life where you're challenging yourself. You get dumber is yeah. what happens. Your, your, your brain goes, Oh, we're, I'm in the off position now. Um, and, and you will start to decline. The, the brain is a muscle like everything else. If you don't challenge it, it's, it's the laziest organ in the body. It's looking to conserve energy every possible way it can. And so if you don't challenge it, then it, it's, you're just going to go, I don't remember half of what I'm doing every day. Because uh, it, one, it doesn't matter. It doesn't excite me. And it's the same thing as yesterday. I don't want that. I, I don't want, and, and also, and it's about, you know, my premise is I want you to live as bold a life as possible. I'm trying to make the world a bolder place because we need people. We got big problems. We need people willing to step up and say, I want to figure out how to get the plastic out of the ocean. I want to maintain the, the, the seafood supply. I want to find a way to, to do vertical farming so that cities actually provide fresh food, whatever the heck it is. 
and believe they can do it and find bold people to do it with them. That's the world I want. And that's, that's the people I want to associate with. And that's who I want to help. It's like, you can do this. This, everybody who does these things started out bumbling along going, I, how do I, how do I pull this off? Uh, and then they, they just, and it's doing it together. It's collaborating. There's the power of collaboration. And that's, the, that's what introverts try to do. They try to do everything themselves and they're afraid to do it, go out in the world unless it's perfect. They're afraid to launch their business until it's perfect. As we know, you have to launch and yeah. then figure out what the marketplace actually thinks and what actually is wrong with the product. And th this, they have demonstrated that collaborating produces better everything. Yeah. And you have to have, an, so it takes boldness to say, I might not be right. There's, there's, there's actually, there's a famous uh, ad agency owner, David Ogilvy. He was one of the, the 60s heroes of the ad world, of the ad revolution. Um, and he carried a little note in his pocket that he would take into every meeting. And he said, and on the note, it said, I might not be right. Mm. And it primed him to open his mind. But that's, that's, that takes boldness. That takes suspension of ego. Ego is insecurity in disguise. You don't want people to find out you may not know what you're doing. So you have to act like you know what you're doing all the time. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to say because people think, well, super bold is cocky. Being super gold, bold is, is being cocky, but you're saying just the opposite. You're saying there's humility. There's a uh, massive amount of, when you're truly bold, there's a massive amount of humility because you're actually out in your discomfort zone yeah. trying new things. You're saying, I may not know what the hell I'm doing, right? Um, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some people to help me figure it out. We're going to have fun doing it. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the other thing I try to tell people. It's like, stop looking for something easy to do because it's not satisfying. You was know, it's, and the smarter you are, the more capable you are, the more you have to challenge yourself. You got to do the, the hard stuff is the only thing that's satisfying. And here's a, the secret. One of the secrets that bold people learn, and it took me a while to learn it, is there's almost as much satisfaction in trying and failing as there is in trying and succeeding. The only real dissatisfaction is not trying. Yeah. Because if you say, even you know, just meeting somebody, you walk across the room and say, I'm going to go talk to that woman. She's, she's really interesting. She has great energy. I'm going to go over and talk to her. And you go over and in about 15 seconds, she mentions she has a fiance and they're getting married in six weeks. You feel fine that you talk to her. Now, if you stayed there and told you all yourself all the reasons you were not worthy to speak to her, you would never know. Yeah. So you went and found out versus, and you may find out also, you're not, you stop projecting, oh, she's the perfect woman. You could find her annoying in 15 minutes. Right. Uh, and so, and, and this is, a, this is a, a, an analogy for the rest of life. Stop creating illusions about what can be and go find out what is what's true and and it's about stepping up try stuff try you know try businesses you may um, you know a good friend of mine she was dying to get in the restaurant business till she opened one right and that it, it almost ruined cooking for her because she was an incredibly creative cook but that's 
only a tiny part of the restaurant business. And it, it almost ruined it completely, almost ruined cooking for her. But she was, she was off the restaurant business after that. Uh, whereas other people, like, they love running a restaurant. They love, because you got to run a restaurant. It's not just about making food. Anybody can make food. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. You have to do it or you don't know. And you yeah. live this illusion of what could have, should have, or might have been. And it's, and the truth is, is it might have been a complete disaster. And yeah, the only thing yeah, and, 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 and instead you're looking back, ah, I should have gone into that. Yeah. I left missed out because I never tried the restaurant business. I, I played it safe. And, and, and hey, who wants that on your tombstone that you said you played it as safe as possible till your dying day? It's like, I want to, I wanted to say he, he died broke, bruised and battered, but he left it all on the mat. And yep. that was his plan. Yeah. What, what, what was the catalyst for you to become from shy and inconfident to super bold? I, I, I think it was the, an aggregation of, of three or four missed opportunities, mm. a couple of relationships that, that could have really worked out in my mind. Well, and, and, and I just never spoke up. And then two or three years later, I would hear the, the, the woman say, I, you know, I really liked Fred. It just, he just never made a move. And, I, and I'm thinking, what, what, you know, and I didn't, I didn't want to ruin the friendship or I didn't want to get embarrassed because she was like, you're not really my type. I do. You know, I had all of these things and I, and I finally said, wow, I'm really full of shit. Right. Yeah. Like I'm, I am really my, the stuff I'm telling myself is, is wrong about 90% of the time. And I've got to stop listening. Um, and then it was just, and then conversely, there were times when I was bold, like when I did things in the advertising world and also did things in the, in the business world. And then in the fun world where I went, okay. Like I tried stand-up comedy, which is madness, right? Uh, <laughs> to try, but I had a good friend who was a full-time comic live, making a living at it. He says, I know you want to try this. And he says, and everything you think you should be afraid of, you're wrong. And you need to get on stage and find out what you actually should be afraid of. So he made me put 10 minutes together. And, and he just said, you're, you're going to bomb. Right. And, and so expect it. So I went up and I didn't completely bomb. I got a few laughs, but I was expecting to bomb. Right. That was my, my, my plan was to, for disaster. So I, you know, I had my orange vest on basically, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but it was, it was so great to just be done and realize if I was funny or not, it was still over, hmm. but I had done it. I had now walked and then I, you know, and I did it for about two more years. And then I studied improv comedy for another six or seven years with the Groundlings, a company in, in Los Angeles that, wow. and that was transformative. I talked to people that who were in all those classes and none of us went into comedy. Uh, I shouldn't say that. a few of us had careers in, in comedy and performance, but most every one of us looks back and said that was pivotal. Mm. for me because i learned to trust my creativity i learned to work without material i learned how to build my confidence because it and, and i designed the exercises in my book because my book is has all these boldness exercises that start very simply very gradually it's exactly the way you do improv comedy you don't walk on stage and try to create a scene in the first day you you start non-verbally 
And then you do start to do some physical things. And then you start with one sentence, one word, stuff like that. And you build it and build it. And I, and I designed the exercises to say, wherever you're at, I'm going to accelerate you through so that you are constantly testing your discomfort zone, but not pushing yourself so far that you retreat back in your shell and go, I'm, I'm never trying that again. You know, it would be like if I tried to do stand up, I want to do stand up, but I don't really have any material that I really want to prepare. I'm just going to go and see how it goes. No, you're going to, you're going to prepare 10 minutes of material. And what's in the, the fascinating thing is you prepare 10 minutes of material. You do it in five because nobody's laughing, right? You're like, <laughs> you go right through it. You go like, oh, well, that's my time. And they say, now it's not your time. You still get five more minutes. Yeah, um, yeah that's but, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm go ahead. I'm gonna let you ask me something. Yeah, I, I go off on a 40 tangents. As I you know. love it. I love the 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 correlation with comedy and what you're talking about. I mean, it really, really makes sense. And I love the thing that you said, and it really actually tracks me to your book is there's a series of things that are going to get you the next step higher. So many people try to become bold overnight. Like I, it's like New Year's resolutions. You're going to fail because you set the bar so high. And the second you don't make the right decision or you do, you eat something wrong or you don't make it to the gym, oh, I failed and you're done as where taking steps to getting where you need to get and having a plan is obviously the way to go. So for the, for the listeners, like what's one thing you could say they could start with and you don't have to lay out the book, but what's, what's a good starting place for someone that says, I am very attracted to this. Number one, I'd say order the book, obviously, but what's something they could do between when Amazon gets their order and gives it to them the next day. Talk to strangers. Oh yeah. Talk to a stranger every single day. And all you have to do is prepare what you're going to say. I recommend a compliment. But it, and it could be anywhere, it could be in the grocery store, it could be in the line at Starbucks, um, just, you know, on an elevator, whatever it is, just start talking to strangers and, and, and you realize you get good at it. And you don't have to be clever. You don't have to be witty. You don't have to be hilarious. You don't have to be interesting. All you have to do is be nice. Hmm. All you have to do is offer a compliment, ask them a question. What and it's so simple. People overload themselves. Why well, I'm I'm at these networking events. I know all these people. I don't know what to say. You don't have to know what to say. It's not about your. It, this isn't a broadcast event for you. This is go find out about other people. Yeah. And one of the things I talk about in the book is as how to make a person feel like they're the most interesting person in the room. And I, I like and that. I had sort of learned it. I had picked up all the pieces of it till I watched Bill Clinton do it at a fundraiser when he was running for president the first time. And I watched him 200 people in a row came up to him one at a time. And he locked on to each one. They all came away with a personal connection from him. I believe that's why he became president because he knew how to do that. But it's, it's basically Focus on that person. Don't do this look over their shoulder stuff or look at them, listen to them, listen to what they're saying without preparing what you're going to say. And if you have the urge to prepare what you're going to say, don't say it. Say, tell me more about that. If you say what's, and I love saying, what's the most interesting thing that happened to you this week or this month, whatever. And they got to think about it. It, it, they're going to show you something about themselves because what's interesting to them, because they could just say, you know, my kid 
uh, learned to ride a tricycle this week. Wow. You know, how much do you know about that person already? When they, when they say something like that, you got to know more about that. How old is she? You know, uh, when did this happen? Was your wife there? Any, you know, or whatever. It, just ask questions. It, and, and that's the whole thing is find out about them and stay locked on them the whole time. And, and be interested in who they are without any outcome in mind. No ulterior motive, no agenda. And then end it comfortably and say, it was really great to meet you. Say their name and say, I look forward to talking to you again. I'm going to go talk to a couple other people because I really want to meet more people here. But it was really great to meet you. And, and, and I love the story about you being in Rome. And then you break away. A lot of people do the breakaway as they do it. Well, I'm going to go talk to some people. Yeah. And they're already walking away as they say it, which says, I'm, I'm unplugging because I'm done with you. Uh, I, I've decided you're not interesting enough. Whereas you stay with them and say, it was really great to talk to you. Now you're giving them this, this graceful exit to go talk to people too. And then what I do all the time, I do a couple of things. I pick out the wallflower, the wallflower in the room and I talk to them. Wow. And then 15 minutes later, I introduce them to somebody else. And I say, you really, you really don't need to know Scott. He does this and this and this. He's an amazing guy. Talk to this guy. He does this, this, and this. And I'll end up knowing 15 people in the room. They'll know nothing about me, except they think I'm really fascinating. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? I mean, there's so much psychology involved in this, and I just love the way you laid it out because it is so, it's so simple, but it takes work and intentionality to do it right. But uh, one one thing I remember that I've heard a lot is the most impactful conversation someone will ever have is the one where they got to talk the whole time. <laughs> like, and they will remember you and you will be the, their, you know, their best friend or you're, yeah. you'll re be remembered as this amazing person. Even if you just said five words. And I, I've done it so many times that I can, I can affirm that. And, and they think I'm the most interesting person, one of the most interesting people they met. And I was like, and they, they well, what does he do? I, was like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about him, but he's really interesting. Yeah, the psychology behind that is just phenomenal. And um, it's, it's that, that old saying, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. I know it's so corny, but it's so yeah, true. Yeah, but, but it's, 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 and if you want to be interesting, be interested. I mean, this yeah. goes back to how to win friends and influence yep. people. And it's, it still works. Uh, there's a reason why it works is because when you want to connect with somebody, it, it only happens when you are interested in them. Yeah. Otherwise there's no connection. They, they feel your agenda coming on. They feel your hustle. They feel your need or desperation or whatever the hell it is that ends up coming out instead, or your tremendous need to tell everybody how amazing you are yeah. because you're so insecure about yourself. That's, yeah, such good advice, Fred. I, I'm excited to read your book. I, I've already like picked up a few things that, you know, I've worked on in the past that I know I need to work on better. And I think that we all need a constant challenge. You said that, I mean, we, and I believe it 100%. Um, before I kind of find, ask you the last question, you know, you're an author and um, I'm sure you've read a lot of books. What, what would you say if, 
I'm kind of putting you on the point here because I didn't prep you for this, but what would be the most impactful book you can think of that you've read over time? Wow. There's so many. Um, or even re the most recent big impact is either way you want to take it. Um, you know, I, I, the, the one that, that always sticks with me is, uh, is man's search for meaning. Oh yeah. With Vic, by Victor Frankl. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when you hear the perspective of somebody who survived a concentration camp and how he views life and, and one of his most powerful messages in it, which has nothing to do with, you know, surviving something horrible is this idea of, if, is that pause, that moment between stimulus and your reaction that time that you take to choose how you're going to react is where all your growth and wisdom comes from and we all and sometimes and it, it applies in every situation in life to uh, i just got an email from some shithead and right I'm, i am writing back to this a-hole right now right. instead right back to him tomorrow mm-hmm um, the, the, the most important messages I've ever sent are the ones that I, I never clicked send on because I didn't think I, I, I needed to react instead of respond. And I didn't, and it, and when I stop and say, what am I trying to achieve by the response? It's it, and take that time invariably it's different than your immediate, immediate emotional response. And, and what happens is you say, wow, I, I actually achieved my result. It, you know, this guy called me this and I, and instead of saying, you know, uh, you know, let, Hey, let's use Chris rock and, and Will Smith. Oh boy, he could yeah. have walked up on stage and leaned into Chris and went, please don't talk about my wife that way. It, it, it hurts us so much. You know, I love you, man, but please don't do this and go sit down. Chris Rock probably would have apologized to Jada right there on stage. Yeah. But instead, he did the opposite. And, and the repercussions in his life will go on for a decade. For the rest. Of life, and also yeah. the repercussions in the world, because suddenly we live in, a, everybody's looking for a reason to, to, to justify reacting violently. Okay. Oh, there's situations where you can smack somebody. Oh, great. Let's add to that list now, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's, it's like the whole world needs to, you know, to put some time and space between that stimulus and their reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. Fred, I, I, awesome conversation, uh, super bold from, underconfident to charismatic in 90 days uh, uh you can find it on amazon i'm sure yeah <laughs> it's in happy. it's in hardcover it's in kindle and it's an audible me reading the book oh cool so i love it when the author there. reads it I, there's that is the best thing ever that is really cool i look forward to checking it out and uh, i'll probably get it in audible first i'm pretty excited about it um and all the links to how to find you and follow you and, and look at what you're up to are in the show notes. And um, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we end this? 
Yeah, uh, I'm I'm Fred Joyle everywhere. So FredJoyle.com, Fred Joyle on Facebook, <laughs> LinkedIn. Easy. It's like I grab my name early, right? I'm a marketing guy. I know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> that was very uh, smart. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually I put together uh, a two day workshop on uh, transformational workshop based on the book that's happening in LA in June, June 24th and 25th. So you can find out more about that oh, cool. on the web, my website as well. And uh, it's going to be limited in attendance and but it's going to really put you through some changes. Well, I, things that make change in your life are always, always, always worth it. And in person, that's even better because I imagine you have some practice and some practical things involved. It's going to be very interactive. That is so awesome. Are people going to get up and do comedy for the first time? <laughs> They're going to they are going to be in their discomfort zone a good percentage of the time. Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you so much for contributing, sharing some hacks and and giving everybody a, a, a viewpoint into your life and to uh, quite honestly some formulas for success that everybody can learn from. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on, Scott. Uh, I, pre I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to people and spread the bold word. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, you can check out Fred Joyle's uh, links. If you can't remember his name, which is Joyle with a J. It sounds like Royal but and spelled like Royal, but with a J. And uh, if you can't figure, remember them, go to the links in the podcast notes or the YouTube links or on the social media. It's all there. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Stories Itself. Do the thing. Go rate it. Go subscribe to it. It really helps. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.